This episode is brought to you by Planet Broadcasting's 2018 partnership with Care Australia and Everyday Hero, supporting women and girls living in extreme poverty around the world. To donate to our campaign, visit planetbroadcasting.com or click on the link in the show notes below. Will, this episode of Top is brought to you by Movement Sunglasses. Oh, Movement Sunglasses. That's a real surprise to me, Charlie, they're because they're our regular sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> they're pretty much our only sponsor of this podcast. Good on Movement. Good on their watches. Good on their sunglasses. Good on them for being involved in this little dodgy operation we're running here at Tofop. You can't see it right now, but we're both wearing three pairs of movement sunglasses each as we look at each other through Skype. It's making things very difficult. Oh, no, it's making things better. This is the best podcast we've ever had, Charlie. In fact, I recommend wearing more than one pair of movement sunglasses at the same time. They don't, just for the record. They don't recommend that, but I do. In the same way as I got in trouble from another sponsor of ours on the radio, Charlie, because uh, it was a a beer brand and we were having a debate about whether you should have lemon or lime in the beer. And I decided I was going to try lemon and lime at the same time, and it was delicious. And then lots of our listeners started sending us pictures of lemon and lime, and the beer company were like, nah, guys, could you just concentrate on the lime? So I'm not (laughs) saying that movement sunglasses are suggesting you put two pairs on at all times. I'm suggesting that. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. How are you? You look like you've got a bit of a samurai do going on. Is that just a trick of the light? Like you shaved on the sides with a bit of a top knot thing happening? Well, yes. Look, I mean, now both of our podcasts are just talking about people's hair. I've noticed <laughs> we have an AFL podcast, which is mostly talking about AFL players' socks or their haircuts. And now Tofop is just talking about hair as well. But it is true. It is Mother's Day morning here in Australia. And, uh, I have had a, I had a bit of a sleep in, and so uh, I got up about half an hour before the podcast, and I, I managed to have a shower and uh, make myself a cup of coffee. And um, I thought it's a bit weird to like have a shower and just immediately put my cap on, but I didn't want to mm. put product in my hair because I'm just going to stay around the house um, working today, you know. So I don't want to like you know, deal with that. So I have, uh, as is my other option in that situation got out the uh, the tie and uh, tied the hair into a bit of a like a samurai style hair knot and then of course with my usual outfit which is kind of layers of mm. black so I kind of have like a black hoodie and then I have like a black jacket over the top there is a yeah. little bit of like definitely samurai in the city you know yeah. like like a babe samurai in the city you know yeah. <laughs> The prequel where Babe Babe went and trained with the League of Shadows for a while and came back to destroy Farmer Hoggett's farm. You know that episode of Babe, guys? Um, And so, yeah, there is a little samurai in the city or just a crazy guy on the train who might have a sword. That was going to be my my second option. You also look like scary teenager at the train station who stands on his own reading like reading like from a book of like hardcore poetry or something like you've got a bit of that kind of like angsty gothy teen look going on oh yeah there's no doubt that i am writing down a list of all the people that i want to murder at my school (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're the kind of guy who wears a trench coat everywhere indoors outdoors when it's hot when it's cold trench coat trench coat what's your favorite outfit trench comma coat (laughs) everyone's like it's one word you're like not how i roll uh, that haircut reminds me of a. I the only time I ever experimented with getting like a like a cool cutting edge you know fashion edge haircut was when I was about I think I was eight or nine years old and uh, Jason Donovan was a big star on Neighbours and he used to have that undercut you know it was real shaved on the sides and then a big floppy blonde on the top and my older sister who I think liked Jason Donovan at the time wanted to give me the same haircut and so she got the clippers out and gave me this kind of like undercut and flippy hair. And when I got to school the next day, 
it was the talk of the playground. Like I remember walking in through the gates and all the kids in the playground are like, like they're all talking about my hair. And then the principal coming up and saying to me, can we see you before assembly? And I was like, oh, okay, I wasn't sure if I was in trouble or anything. They do the assembly in front of the entire primary school. They call me on the stage and they say, this kind of haircut is not acceptable at the school. This punk haircut with the shave, and they made me like turn around and stuff and pointed out my hair. Now, he's a good boy, Charlie, but this is unacceptable. And I remember sort of being like walked off stage and one of the, I think it was my grade three teacher, Miss Seymour, taking me aside. And I was a bit rattled, clearly, because I didn't know I was going to be exposed in front of the entire school. She's gone, she's tried to reason with me. She's gone, look, there's a reason we had to make an example of you. And that's because if this haircut is acceptable, then soon kids will be arriving and I'll be wearing like hippie beads and all kinds of jewelry and stuff. And we just can't have that. She's given a grade three-year-old the speech about the slippery slope. You're really like, oh, was. we can't let gay people get married. Next people will marry their cats. I just love the idea too that I probably had the most mainstream teen heartthrob white boy haircut, but to them it was punk because it was shaved under the sides. Right, yeah. Essentially to them, you were basically running your own meth lab at that stage because mm. you got the same haircut as popular teen icon Jason Donovan, <laughs> <laughs> renowned as the hardest man in Australian show business. I, wonder, I, I do wonder if it was something about that because it was a Catholic primary school, if it was a conservative. I don't remember there being any other dress codes. Like, I'm sure there was kids with all kinds of wild hair at my primary school. I don't know why that one was, like, so scandalous. Yeah, it doesn't. Like, I mean, and, like, having a shaved head isn't, like, in any way isn't necessarily. Like, there's a lot of religious orders that shave their hair off completely. In fact, mm. in many cultures, it's seen as, like, a sign of your devotion to your mm. God, not the other way around. But maybe it's because Jesus is so traditionally kind of portrayed as being having long hair. But you're not allowed to have long hair at school either, right? You're not allowed to have no. the Jesus cut at a Catholic school. I think that no. should be compulsory. I would have gone the <laughs> other way. I would have made every kid at a Catholic school have the same haircut as Jesus. I think it was something to do with this, that having that uniform policy. Like I remember at my high school, the rule was you couldn't, your, your hair couldn't touch your collar. And they would actually come around and measure to see if your, your hair had come down your colour. And there's kids, rebels, Will, rebels in my school, rebels amongst us who defied the odds by they would pin up their hair. And so when they would leave school, when they're strutting towards the bus stop, they would let the pins out and shake loose their hair over their collar. Oh, well, I, I had long hair when I was at high school and it was the same rule at our school, uh, no below the collar. But my mum argued that if girls could tie up their hair and, you know, to keep it, up then boys could do the same thing so i used to wear mine in like a ponytail while i was at school and my mum argued with that with the school which i loved about my mum because you know she's like a dairy farmer from denison but if she felt like it was a point of principle she would go into bat for me which probably you know has meant i've turned out to be the absolute mess i am with no respect for authority but i <laughs> <laughs> she was great and so i used to wear it like in the ponytail and for her it was a matter of equality she was actually making a stand on behalf of equality she was like well if girls can do that why can't boys do that for the same reason maybe here's what i'm thinking about the priest charlie because wasn't mm. there a time or am i just getting this from like robin hood and stuff where yes. priests like would shave the top of their head and then kind of have the long hair sort of around yeah yeah right yeah. i don't know what branch of christianity that is but they were christian so okay so maybe that was the problem maybe the shaving was in the wrong place Maybe if you come in and you'd shave the top of your hair, but you left the rest of it long, fry a tuck style, they would have not been able to have a complaint about it. It just seems odd too. Like I remember they had, uh, so the uniform policy at my school was like uh, 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 no hair below the collar, but also you have to have your socks pulled up at all times. Did you have that policy as well? Yeah, socks pulled up at all, all times. In fact, when they offered uh, to make me a um, print, uh, no, what do you call them? What, prefect. prefect in year 12. A principal. When they offered to make yeah. me the principal in year 12, I thought, you know what? I feel like this is a bad idea. <laughs> a great Adam Sandler film. <laughs> principal <Yeah>. kid. I... <laughs> Adam Sandler is kid principal. <laughs> Through a mix-up, a high school student becomes principal of his own school. Adam Sandler <laughs> is hilarious as both the kid and the principal he's deposed. Actually, you know what? We could definitely sell that to Adam Sandler. Um, all right. So the, the hair cutting practice is called the tonsure. Tonsure? 
Oh, just a fry top um, look. Yeah, the practice of cutting or shaving some or all of the hair on the scalp um, as a sign of religious devotion or humility. Okay, so right. some or all of the hair. So you, you could have actually argued. You were like, well, I'm just devoted to God. And the reason that I'm devoted to God, like I've cut my hair as part of my devotion to God. There is also part of me that thinks maybe I've misremembered the entire event. Maybe what the principal was trying to highlight that this is a, just a terrible haircut. <laughs> and if you have pride in yourself, you shouldn't let your sister cut your hair because she's got a crush on Jason Donovan. Right. He was just giving you a, um, he was Tabitha, who's that lady who goes around her hairdressers and sorts them out. Um, it's Catholic, by the way, tonsure. Oh, really? um, the term originates from the Latin word uh, meaning clipping or shearing and uh, is specific practice in medieval Catholicism. There you mm. go. Uh, is there anyone who wears it now? Is it, is it a defunct sect of Christianity or are there, are there dudes who wear like that now? I don't think, I can't think of any. No, I can't think so. What about the guy in uh, Wizard of Id? <laughs> that fry, do you remember him? <laughs> yeah, the Wizard of Id is still going. It is? Yeah. No, it is. Someone like pasted a, like a, a link to it the other day, but I don't know if it's the same. The, the, definitely the art has changed. So I don't know if someone's just inherited the brand of Wizard of Id. But like, that must be one of the longest running comic strips of all time. Michael, can you just look up the Wizard of Id for us? I feel, I feel a little a bit of a tofop rabbit hole coming on. <laughs> well, I remember the Wizard of Id, but here's all I can remember of the Wizard of Id. Um, I remember the guy who was always in chains on the wall. The like spook? the prisoner? Who? The spook. Oh, I feel like you're going to be able to go on a deep dive on Wizard of Id, Charlie. All right, you lead yeah, the... No, go- no, no, you, no, go you tell me what you remember and I'll see if I can... Because uh, I, I remember a, a few things. Go. No, that's all I remember. I remember okay. the guy chained to the wall. <laughs> okay, so the guy chained to the wall and the guy, the guard that looked after him was called Turnkey. He was the prison guard. So they had like a bit of a, you know, original odd couple relationship. Then you had the king who was very sensitive about his height. He had an inferiority complex. He's incredibly short and very vain and very cruel. He's a real tyrant. But the one thing that always set him off if anyone ever mentioned his height or if he ever got embarrassed for being too short, I think often he would wear stilts and things in public. Um, His knight was called Rodney. Rodney had this big kind of nose, but Rodney was a coward. Uh, Rodney was in love with, I think her name was Gwendolyn, who was like a fair maiden. Then you had the whiz, the wizard, who was the kind of the, star of the strip the wizard of id um and he had a vat which he would uh, he would come up with um incantations and spells and stuff there was a spirit that came out of the vat that i think was just called the evil spirit that he would converse with it was like a, a buddy he was married to blanche who uh was incredibly ugly and mean to him <laughs> a bit like Hagar the horrible's wife uh yeah that's about all i remember <laughs> What do you mean that's about all you remember? That's more than the original creators of the Wizard of Id remember about the Wizard of Id. That's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, well, because my father was a dentist. And so when I would go visit him in the waiting room, he would have those for kids. He'd have those compendiums of comic book strips. So they'd take all the newspaper strips and put them into like volumes. So I had like 12 volumes of the, of the Wizard of Id when I was a kid. I'm, a, I'm what you might call a Wizard of Id expert. <laughs> Uh, maybe they, did they have a name like you know people who follow Wizard of Id were you like idiots or something like that <laughs> I think it's a, a bit too obvious Will but yes uh, okay uh, so the original oh, artist of, oh, yeah. have you got it no here you go the original artist of the Wizard of Id died in 2007 so someone has taken over the Wizard of Id is a daily newspaper comic strip created by Brant Parker and Johnny Hart I think they also did BC do you remember that comic strip yeah, I remember it, but not as... Wizard of Eid would have been bigger than BC though, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was like Buffy to Angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In many ways, BC was a superior comic strip that uh, never reached the uh, popularity of the original. Yeah, right. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. so Wizard of Eid, uh, I guess, was... Um, I'm going to say Wizard of Eid uh, is Westworld and uh, BC is Person of Interest. <laughs> <laughs> it began in 1964... The strip follows the antics of a large cast of characters in a shabby medieval kingdom called Id. From time to time, the king refers to his subjects as idiots. There you go. The title is a play on the Wizard of Oz combined with the Freudian psycho- psychological term Id, which represents the instinctive and primal part of the human psyche. 
Okay, great. Oh, well, I <laughs> no. like it. I like how deep this is already. This is like Westworld. <laughs> There's mysteries. If you look up the names of the episodes and the title, you'll learn more about what they're trying to achieve. I love it. In 1997, Brant Parker passed, due to, uh, passed on duties to his son, Jeff Parker, who had already been involved with creating id for a decade. In 2002, the strip appeared in some 1,000 newspapers all over the world. Hart's grandson, Mason Masturioni, took over artist duties uh, on the strip after Hart's death in 2007. So the new byline is by Masturioni and Hart. It, it appears for the first time in other strips. Okay, history. Um, setting, format, style, what do we want? Characters? Characters, yep. Oh, okay, we'll just give you the setting first. The Wizard of Id deals with the going-ons of the rundown and oppressed mythical kingdom of Id. It follows people from all corners of the kingdom but concentrates on the court of the tyrannical, dwarfish monarch known only as the king. The strip's humour occasionally satirises modern American culture and deliberate anachronisms are rampant. Technology changes to suit whatever gag requires. A battle with spears and arrows might be followed by a peasant using an ATM. Yeah, okay, I like that. In some strips, the king is elected to his uh, position, although by rigged ballots. The aspects that stay the same, however, is that Id is in the middle of nowhere, home to a large castle surrounded by a moat. The king and his subjects run an inept army perpetually at war with the Huns, while the unhappy overtaxed peasants or idiots make little money as farmers and stable hands to keep modest lifestyles. You know what? This is feeling more and more kind of topical and current, isn't it? Right, I think it was a little before its time. It was warning us about the dangers of capitalism and unearned wealth and power. All right, the characters. The king. He's a pint-sized despot. Like many characters in the strip, the king is named after his role. Occasionally, his name is given as id or sire to his subjects. He's greedy but maintains a sense of humour. Jokes are often centred on his height. He's about three feet tall. He wears a crown and a cape that makes him look like a playing card. From his throne room... He hands out terrible draconian punishments for crimes, executions being quite common. <laughs> He's only ever, ever looking to win votes, power and money. He has a thin skin and a short temper, especially about his height or his small hands, uh, yeah. if you want to give a more modern context. <laughs> I mean, I imagine if he's small in stature, he probably actually does have small hands as well. <laughs> uh, however, he's occasionally shown to have a quirky, softer side uh, and it is mentioned only... His only friends are the moat monsters. That's right. His pets are a dragon and a St. Bernard dog named Bonaparte. He rides Bonaparte to fox hunts, although he can also ride horses as well. Blah, 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 blah. Also, if he's oh, sensitive yeah. about his height, don't ride your dog to a fence. <laughs> it's really a way to attract attention, isn't it? Uh, his father, who was king until his son of him, is kept in a tower surrounded by the king of Id, jack-in-the-box toys, the only gifts his, he, his son gives him. Uh, he also calls his son a fink. Oh, that's right. The greatest insult you can call the king is a fink. It's an ongoing gag. Like there's, there is a mysterious character called the Lone Haranger who just rides, you hear him like riding up on the horse. So it's like clip, clop, clip, clop, clop. And he just yells out, the king is a fink. And like, they, but they can never catch him. <laughs> <laughs> so he's essentially just a heckler on a horse. Heckler on a horse. The Lone Haranger. I mean, I assume it's Haranger, not Haranger. Well, I guess it's one of those jokes that looks better written down. Yeah. <laughs> they've come up with it on paper and then somebody's gone, you know, it's pronounced Haranger, not Haranger. And they're like, fuck it, let's run with it. I've already done yeah. the art. Uh, the Wizard. He's a title character. He's the king's royal wielder of magic, sometimes nicknamed Wiz. He's smart but sarcastic, good-natured but cynical, and is constantly dominated by his wife. Do you remember uh, her name? Helga. No, Blanche. Holger. One of the Golden Blanche. Girls. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> he wears a traditional pointed wizard's cap festing the stars and crescent moons like Merlin. From his basement, he works over a vat where a spirit familiar lives. He is capable of powerful spells, but often his plans backfire. His incantations usually sound a little like Fremen on the Jim Jam, Frippin' on the Crotz. Oh, my God. I just had a nostalgia burst right there. Fremen on the Jim Jam, Frippin' on the Crotz. I remember this. He is friendly to all the king's subjects, but like most of them, he secretly considers the king to be a creep or a fink. Both his parents are involved with uh, magic. His father can turn himself invisible. His 800-year-old mother is also a sorceress. Every Mother's Day, she receives a cat from her son. Well, it's nice that we've done this episode for Mother's Day after that yeah. revelation. <laughs> and that's our Mother's Day episode. <laughs> 
so Rodney the Chicken-Hearted, usually just called Rodney. He's the king's chief knight and the head of the hapless army. Um, he's tall, lanky, a man of dope intelligence who wears green chain mail and carries a spear. He's a bit like the, I guess he's like one of the Trump sons, like an Eric Trump. Uh, he's hopeless as a warrior. His troops are just as incompetent. Uh, Rodney at heart is a coward. He's terrified of fighting, often pretends to be good at slaying dragons. Uh, while in fact, he once bribed one known as Draggy. <laughs> he has an enormous nose. It's the source of many jokes. Uh, and he's always trying to win the king's attention. Occasionally, he works as a spy wearing a tree costume with a large hole to accommodate his nose. <laughs> his father was Sir Francis Beekmeister. <laughs> I mean, that's appropriate. That's like a guy working in a library. His name's Bookman, right? You've got a big nose, you're Beakmeister. He's in love with Gwen. She's a beautiful but frustrated fair maiden. Who's, uh, as her blonde stereotype suggests, uh, she's quite clueless, but she's adored by all, only in love with Rodney. They sometimes date, but he's non-macho way. He's usually too dense to return the romantic feelings. All right, I, I seem to remember her being a bit of a... Um, I dream of genie type character. Probably not going to play in the modern context, the Gwen character. Um, oh, here we go. Don't feel so bad about a character called Spook because his full name is Wellington J. Farnsworth Spookingdorf III. <laughs> He's called Spook for short. He's a miserable, comically destitute prisoner for, who for many years has lived in the dungeons beneath the castle. He's covered from head to toe with hair, sometimes been likened to a giant rat. His crime was one of a few mentioned. His crime was one of a few mentioned things. When a visiting earl expressed an interest in meeting the only person to beat the king in croquet, he's introduced to Spook. Or when the king, or when the king called Spook a two-bit, four-flushing, dirty, low-down. Or when he called the king a two-bit, four-flushing, dirty, low-down, indiscriminate clod in the early strip. But most of the time, it's accepted that the king sentenced Spook to a lifetime in the dungeon for calling him a dwarf. Think. <laughs> A fink. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, his greatest, his favorite book is The World's Greatest Escapes, blah, 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 blah. Turnkey, the guard who guards him. Blanche, wizard's worst half, his domineering meddlesome harridan of a wife. It has been said the wizard married Blanche for her money for she is considered extremely ugly by everyone in the kingdom. She <laughs> nags the whiz every day and her cooking is awful. All right, another character we're going to need a rewrite of. Can we recast this as a guy? I must admit that there's a couple of uh, older, you know, as, as prescient as this might be about modern day times, there's a couple of, oh, uh, you know, his wife's really ugly and annoying. That'll be a good bit. And then that guy's short and that guy's got a big nose. We're done. Start drawing. <laughs> there's Bung, the court jester and chronic alcoholic. Larceny Pettifogger, the attorney at law. The evil spirit is the apparition who lives in the wizards of Vat. The Doc, the royal physician, the Duke, who's a vain, toadying nobleman, and Lackey, the king's personal servant, who never says much but is loyal enough to stand by the throne and await the king's every order. So there you go, man. The Wizard of Id. I think you could actually remake The Wizard of Id, like, you know, gritty reboot style, Wizard, Wizard of Id, House of Cards. Yeah, House of Cards style, Wizard of Id reboot. I think that'd be a really cool idea. Well, in 1969, Jim Henson produced a test pilot for The Wizard of Id. By this time, it was uh, expressed, the concept was, all right, yeah, he was also working on The Muppet Show, and so I think he decided to take the other one. <laughs> Good pick, <Right>. Jim Henson. <laughs> it was named the best humor strip by the National Cartoonist Society in 71, 76, 1980, 1982, 1983, 1984. Um, hasn't won many awards since then. <laughs> I can't imagine why. I mean, it'd be tough if you were like a modern-day comic strip and you're up for some big awards and you got beaten. Like, what's the... Say you're, um, I don't know, like, you know... Uh, quantum Cop. Sorry? Quantum Cop. Yeah, Quantum Cop. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking more like some, you know, massive comic book, you know, modern day comic book writer, but I couldn't think... Oh, so say Neil Gaiman's written some new comic book, right? Yeah. And he's up at some huge comic book awards and it's like Neil Gaiman for, you know, his new edition of Sandman. Sandman, the greatest ever Sandman comic of all time. Or... The Wizard of Id. <laughs> or maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way. Maybe we want to see, like, you know, when you'll get a new game or something to do a Doctor Who episode, you know, it, maybe the idea is, like, to get other comic book artists interested in doing, like, a Wizard of Id run. So, like, you know, Neil Gaiman's Wizard of Id oh. run would be excellent. Oh, Alan Moore would be perfect to do the Wizard of Id. Isn't Alan Moore, like, 
He is a magician himself. Right. He so it comes out magic. that Alan Moore has this passion project and it's Wizard yeah. of Id. And he wants to do like a reimagining of the Wizard of Id universe, Alan Moore style. Absolutely. That'd, I'm in. That'd be amazing. But that'd just be all these like, like they, they, what, for what they use the kind of a sad state for comedic effect in this run. I think Alan Moore would really delve into the reality of like medieval existence and the corruption of power and, you know, the peasants who work for this despot. Like I think Alan Moore would take it in a fairly dark direction. Yeah, absolutely he would. And, you know, the sacrifices of, you know, that you make for magic and, you know, the idea of imprisoning somebody for life for no good reason and a commentary on the darkness of our society and the inbuilt power structures that prevail. It'd be great. I mean, there's a lot of meaty stuff to work with, you know. I don't know what he'd do with the lone haranga. (laughs) (laughs) And at some point, there would also be like a massive orgy. Like That's one of the things I've noticed whenever you sort of see Alan Moore interviewed and stuff, because he always gives these kind of like fairly cryptic interviews from wherever he lives in London, where he talks about like, you know, he doesn't follow, there is no one God. It's like this old pagan kind of attitude. And it always leads to like orgies, <laughs> like somewhere along the line, this conversation steers towards like how we've all been imprisoned by our sexuality. And that, you know, if we all just behaved like the, the, the beings we are, we'd all just be like fucking nonstop. So I imagine at some point there would be a huge orgy in the Wizard of Eid. <laughs> Rodney would well, be putting maybe, his nose to good use. Maybe he tells the whole story. <laughs> from the, the point of view of the lone haranga. I think this is more your Alan Moore style thing. Alan Moore's got this whole dream for a whole run about the lone haranga, and it's just set in the Idiverse. Yeah. And so you kind of get this d- dirty kind of dark look at who the lone haranga really is in between, you know, his drive-by harangings. And otherwise he's living, I imagine, off in the woods Robin Hood style, you know, coming up with the, his various quips that he's going to yell at the king or whatever and having orgies. So it's mostly an orgy and quip-based existence that the lone harangues leading otherwise. I could definitely see that. It could be like you could, you could do it as a, 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 like I said, in the universe where you never actually have to see the king or any of the other kind of characters you know, but they're just referred to. It's just understood that that's the kingdom that he's haranguing. I mean, do you change, do you update the king as a fink to make it something more kind of potent? Oh, no, I think that you would actually do the opposite. You would actually ramp up the idea of Fink being like a really terrible word, right? You know, like, you know, so you make it really gritty and dark and every time that somebody would say the F word or the C word, that that Fink is there instead and you kind of get the idea that Fink is like the... The, the, the most dirty of the all words in the in the universe. Yeah, and then you can adapt it to a TV series, like a Deadwood-style TV series. Like, it almost fits perfectly into that. The Wizard of Id, like, those characters. Al Swearingen is the king, easily. Just make him a yeah. little Al Swearingen. You cast Peter Dinklage as the king. Peter Finklage? Peter Finklage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I like it. You know, like you could do it really, you just establish it early on by two hard characters having a conversation like, you know, that guy's a fink. He's a real fink sucker. Yeah, he's a mother finker. <laughs> like you just put fink in all those. Hang on. Wait a minute. Is it a swear word or you're using it like the way Smurfs use the word Smurf? No, well, I'm using it for fink I mean, is suck like a combination fink, of did you say? Was the suck you my fink. You've always been a mother thinking fink sucker. And I say, go think yourself. You think, Ed? I love the way you had to tiptoe around that to make sure you were actually like keeping in the good words and replacing the bad words with think. It was a real calculated move. I could see you, your mind doing the machinations. <laughs> Well, this episode of Tofop is brought to us, brought to you, brought to everyone by Movement Sunglasses. It'd be weird if they specified that it wasn't brought to somebody in particular. They were like, hey guys, yeah. we'd like you to point out that this uh, Movement Sunglasses brings this podcast to everybody but Gary. Yeah, Gary, no one likes you. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. Like, On behalf of Movement Sunglasses, they'd like to give a personal shout out to you, Gary, and say this is not for you. So you skip through this or you turn off your radio or you just sit there and listen to what is for everybody else but not for you, Gary, <laughs> if that's your real name.
So for everyone who isn't Gary, I've got a message to give you. <laughs> spring is just around the corner. Or, well, uh, winter or if you're in the Southern or Hemisphere. In it. I'm not really good with months. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a season. I'm pretty sure there's a season about to happen. I'm pretty sure there's like four of them a year. I don't want to get this wrong because someone like Adam Spencer will pull me up on not knowing how many colours there are in the primary spectrum. If I get the bloody seasons wrong, I'm, 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 I'm up shit creek. Exactly, Charlie. There are four seasons in the year. Red, yellow, uh, blue and green. <laughs> the well-known four seasons of the year. So whatever season uh, is coming up, you're going to need some sunglasses. So uh, as we've revealed on this show, I have a pair of movement sunglasses. Our By the way, I've just worked out that red, yellow, blue and green wouldn't have actually been that bad for your four seasons because red's your summer, right? You've got the red hot yeah. heater summer. Yeah. Blue, that's winter because you, you know, you're feeling blue. You've got the winter blues. You, know, you, you go blue in the cold. Then you've got yeah. um, a green, yellow which leaves is spring. Of autumn. Yeah, and the yellow leaves of autumn. It's all fucking there. <laughs> but I think there's only three primary colours because, uh, as Adam pointed out, uh, uh, blue and yellow make green. <laughs> yeah, but as is every, everybody's always known, you have to combine autumn and winter to get spring. <laughs> <laughs> I have a pair of uh, movement sunglasses I'm an outlaw, Will, and I have sunglasses that match my persona. I have, yes, I have the movement outlaw sunglasses. Um, I wear them quite a bit. Um, I wore them this weekend. I was in Palm Springs and I needed a trendy pair of sunglasses uh, to wear in the pool while I sipped my, uh, what was it called? It was called a Chucky, actually. They made a cocktail at this hotel I was staying at called the Chucky, which is basically vodka. Right. <laughs> so if you're an outlaw, you know what you're doing? You're sitting in a swanky hotel pool drinking vodka, like an outlaw. Like an outlaw. Well, you're the sort of outlaw, Charlie. You don't like to steal from ordinary people. You're more like your Ned Kelly or your Robin Hood. You're stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. And that's why you like an affordable pair of sunglasses as opposed to giving your money to those big villains in big sunglass land. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Big sunglasses. As we've talked about in a previous episode, two episodes of Tofop before this, if you want to find out the scandal that has rocked the sunglass industry, it's all controlled by one giant octopus-like conglomerate. But movement are the little guys, Will. Yes. You meant to say something there. Oh, okay. Yes. (laughs) Correct, Charlie. You're absolutely right. They are. Should we go back to the copy? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) We just got our go-to shades for it all. As we said, all seasons, all colours. The guys at Movement don't make just great... Hang on. The guys at Movement don't just make great watches. They also make awesome sunglasses and they've released a ton of new styles. Like I said, I've got the Outlaws. Mike, how, what, are your, what are your ones called? You've, you've got some that make... Is it like the Mavericks or something like that? The Sorcerer? <laughs> I don't think we should start speculating on what their sunglasses are called, though. Uh, they're called the Hang On. Oh, no, I think he's just telling us to hang on. But that would also be a fine name for a pair of sunglasses because I would like a pair of sunglasses that hang on to your face. Yeah. I would like them to bring back, what were those cricketers in the 90s would wear those wraparound blade type sunglasses? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They still wear those? Yeah, well, I think people still still wear them on the back of their necks. I think they're the sunglasses you most commonly find around the back of somebody's neck as if that's the best place (laughs) that you should keep your sunglasses when you're not wearing them. When I was at a music festival last year, it was quite late at night, and I found a pair of those cheap sunglasses, uh, servo sunglasses in the dirt. And so I thought it'd just be funny just to sit on the hill at night with my sunglasses on, and I had my hoodie on and a backpack. The amount of people who asked to buy drugs off me <laughs> in the next <laughs> 10 minutes <laughs> made me think it wasn't worth the gag. Yet another downside of getting cheap sunglasses, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Don't be like Charlie and wear a pair of sunglasses you found on the ground at a music festival. (laughs) Here's my problem with sunglasses, Will. What? I've got all these cheap pairs that look terrible. But every time I buy a $200 pair, I feel like I got ripped off. Well, our friends at Movement, yeah, the watch guys. Sorry, I just finished your (laughs) sentence because I knew you were about to leap in with the watch guys. Hang on, the watch guys? (laughs) Yeah, the watch guys. They kind of feel the same way. So they thought, screw it, man. How about we make quality, trendy, sun, trendy sunglasses at a fair price? These things just aren't plastic. They're acetate. You can get them polarized and they start at just $70. They are, did I say polarized? I think I said polarized. 
As in like yeah. Pauline Hanson, polarised. You can also get them polarised, which means you can wear them in the pool. You can get them fullerized, yeah. which means that Charlie can wear them. Uh, and you can get them coolerized, which means uh, that they're just the coolest ones around. Yeah, or schoolerized, and you can wear them in the classroom. Yeah, you can wear them to school. You may or may not be able to wear them to school. <laughs> Don't take our word for it. These are seriously my go-to shades. They have been my go-to shades. I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I've been wearing my movement sunglasses everywhere the last few weeks. Well, I, I'm glad. I'm, I'm sure uh, movement will be glad that you're not ashamed to be wearing their product. <laughs> Movement, don't be ashamed to wear our product. <laughs> uh, talk about your personal experiences. Well, I said that. I just went on a little uh, a weekend holiday in Palm Springs where I wore my sunglasses. Um, I'll talk about Movement's varied selection and styles. For instance, sleek matte black to really fun retro round shades. What do you think about round shades? Like, as a dude, like, you know those John Lennon type ones? That suggests you're a particular kind of person, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I definitely think Like, that you don't see... You don't see an Australian cricketer wearing those little John Lennon sunglasses in the outfield, do you? I mean, I'd like to, though. And I think if, if, they, <laughs> I think if they discovered movement through this podcast, Charlie, maybe next summer that's what we'll see. We're trying to see Australian cricket go in a different direction. They've got a new coach. They're trying to rebound from that scandal they were involved in. Maybe as part of their new look, they're like, you know what's been happening, holding us back? These shitty old sunglasses. This is why we're not yeah. seeing things properly on the field because we're wearing these terrible sunglasses. You know what? We're going to have a hip new look. We're going to imagine there's no cheating. Yeah. We're going to imagine <laughs> there's no game we can't lose. And so we're all going to go dressed like John Lennon to the crease. The best thing about movement is finding the perfect pair of sunglasses is risk-free. You know why? Because they do free shipping and free returns. These are high quality <laughs> premium acetate frames. There's no cheap plastic here. And then they emphasize this. You gotta see these. Isn't that cool? Like you've got to see the sunglasses because you sort of see through the sunglasses. So you're sort of seeing them, but you're seeing through them at the same time. Don't want to blow your mind, man. Well, here's the thing. In some ways, it's impossible to see them once they're on your face. You know, you're yeah. not going to see the full sunglasses once they're on your head. You've got to actually see them first and yeah. then put them on your face and then see other things. I mean, that's or a messier put, tagline, but I, I think it's more accurate. How about this? You put on the three pairs, like we suggest, and then you pick up a fourth pair and look at that one. Imagine what it would look like. It's four times the power of movement. <laughs> and for the cost of a regular pair of store-bought sunglasses. Uh, they have tons of styles to choose from. As we said, they've got classic, trendy, round, aviator, mirrored, polarized. For him and for her, you'll be sure to find the perfect pair. Call to action. This is the must read. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movement.com slash TOEFOP. That's movement.com slash TOEFOP. You know movement for how they've revolutionized the watch industry. Now's time to check out their sunglasses. Go to movement.com slash TOEFOP and... Join the movement. Charlie's pumping his fist in the air. That's the greatest victory we got we've it. ever had on this entire podcast. It was the first time we were ever in sync with anything. He's laid it up and I've slammed it down. Uh, now on with the show. Hey, we got some mail, Will. Yep. Do you want to hear it? Sure. People should send their uh, correspondence to emailtofop at gmail.com with the subject, hey Tofop. Um, I uh, bring that up because this first email is from someone who had some trouble contacting us. So it's probably something we need to address. This is from Michael Smout. Hey guys, love the show as always. I'm a bit behind, but just listening to the Siobhan Chuke, Will, Charlie, life, in life crossover. I'm sure it's been third of, uh, or I'm sure it's been thought of but if not, may I suggest a Quantum Cop Siobhan Chuke appearance? It seems the obvious way to reboot with female lead or even Quantum Cop Nemesis. Getting you two together revealed the truth about Quantum Cop and that threatens his mission to save his family and get home. Now, Fosdyke and I are well into Quantum Cop. He's been sharing with us uh, uh, some pages from episode two. It's coming along real good. I must say though, having, no, having mapped out the first uh, season that there is no Siobhan Chuke, uh, it's not something that we uh, have deliberately omitted. It, she could make an appearance. But at the moment, Quantum Cop exists in a world outside of 
TOEFOP. It's not like everyone relax where Quantum Cop could come into play, but maybe if we want to change things up, that could happen. I like Quantum Cop. In fact, I've I, the more that I see it, the more that it has its own identity and own universe. And I think it should keep separate because I think there's more to explore in the Quantum Cop universe that's separate to this. It's like a, it's genuinely like it. You know what it is? It's a bit Frasier. Like it's based on something that happened in this, but it's it's got yeah. its own identity and its own world at the same time, and I like it. It's good. It's like I, because I, I obviously was involved in the original idea on air, and like you know it was a conversation that we had with Justin and whatever. But then you and Foz have gone off and done it yourself, and I've had nothing to do with it. So when the pages get sent through to me, it's a complete surprise to me. You know, I'm reading it fresh, and I'm reading it going, "This is good. I'm really enjoying this." <laughs> Can we just pause? Did you say Frasier? Is that how it's pronounced? Isn't it Frasier? Frasier. Yeah, Frasier. 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 Maybe I'm hearing things. I thought you said Frasier. Anyway. Well, I, I, point... I sometimes I might... Frasier. 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 I mean, it's not Frasier. I mean, it is Frasier, Frasier. I suppose, but it's not Frasier. Is this Frasier. good podcasting? <laughs> <laughs> the point of Michael's email I wanted to get to was he said that originally I sent this message to the Facebook page as I couldn't find the email address. Uh, and when I Googled, the old one came up. Is it on the website and I just missed it? Anyway, I heard you mention the correct address, but emails may be still heading to the old address if anyone searches for TOEFOP email with Google, as I did anyway. So, Michael, I'm not sure. Maybe that's something that you can look into. I don't know if we... I can't even remember what our old email address was, but maybe there's... Well, let's probably not give it out now because that's only going to add to more confusion. Uh, email address is thinktofop at <laughs> thinkmail.com. <laughs> Our next email is from Chad, Chad Alman. Uh, hey guys, so last week I was driving down a road in Gippsland and I was heading for a destination for work. I just finished listening to Willosophy with Hamish Blake and then Two Guys One Cup came on. Anyway, it wasn't till later that day that I realised the road that I was on was the Anderson Road just outside of Hayfield. I have to go back that way next week. What could I do to honour the most famous country road in all of Australia? Will, over Fucking to you. stay off it, you motherfucker. That's our road. It's called Anderson's Road for a reason. It's not your road. <laughs> Random email to our show. <laughs> the name is on it, and it's only for Anderson's. I just love the idea that he rocks up, and you're standing there with a pitchfork, and just chewing tobacco, and you spit. I'm like, you ain't from around here. <laughs> Are you, boy? <laughs> just, just like, yeah, yeah. No, you have to answer these uh, questions three. Three questions about TOEFOP to get onto Anderson's Road. <laughs> like there's a wizard sitting at the end of the street. <laughs> um, okay, we have two uh, emails that were kind of about the same thing, which is about babies and TOEFOP. Um, okay. Uh, hi, guys. This is from Kaya. Is that right? Kaya. Yes, Kaya. Kaya S. Hi, boys. I'm very glad uh, my late-night Wikipedia amusement of McDonald's mascots rolled into you getting more emails, especially the one from Wayne in episode 200. Oh, so Kaya must have sent us that uh, McDonald's character's subject. I need your opinion. My sister Elise is having a baby, turning one next month. He's named William, or Billy mm -hmm. the Kid. Her and her husband are planning to have a second kid. I'm trying to incept into her brain that the next boy or girl is called Charlie. Thus, the first TOEFOP trademarked babies. Is this too far? Am I in danger of becoming like the Jurassic Park scientists, so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should? Thanks for the laughs and the robot paranoia, Kaya. Do they know it's a, did she say if they know it's a boy, the next baby? No, she said it could be a boy or a girl. They don't know the sex. So I think it would be better if it's a girl. Because if you can get a mm. William and like a Charlie, like, you know, even if you could go with Charlotte, you know, because you yeah. could slip through a Charlotte, right? So yeah. you get a William and a Charlotte, but then you shorten them to Will and Charlie. Subtle. Yeah. You, yeah. No one would see it coming, right? They'd have already got used to the name Charlotte and not realized what was going on. Because if you say to somebody, I've got some kids, their names are William and Charlotte, you don't really think about it immediately. But then no. if you shorten them down, Will and Charlie, bang, Tofop babies. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Trapped you. And what I love about that is we already have our replacements ready for a much more kind of like gender equality time when it's like, well, it's not, podcasts can't just be two guys sitting in a room talking. We've got a guy and a girl, but it's still Will and Charlie. Tofop continues for another 25 years. Yeah, they can be our Muppet babies. Yeah. <laughs> 
I had another email from Dan, which is along this similar subject line. He said that they're expecting their first child in September. Uh, Dan Ford, I should say, sent this in. We both like Charlie, but don't worry, we're not naming him after you. But I really want him to be Charles as his official name. Imagining that he'll only get called Charles when he's in trouble. Have you got any perspective on this? Love the pods. Uh, especially two guys, one cup. Go the cats. P.S. Super disappointed there was no Melbourne comedy show this year. Yeah, sorry about that, but I'm in another country. Um, my perspective on the name Charles is very few people call me Charles. I don't think anyone really calls me Charles. My mother used to, but even she called me Charlie. Uh, Charles is a good name, but it will be shortened to Charlie. Like, even Charles, Charlie Pickering, when I met him, was a Charles Pickering, and he was proud of it. Like, we worked in the same office. I was Charlie, he was Charles. But then he came around to going, oh, you know what, Charlie's kind of a less threatening name. And that's what I always say to people. Like, if you name your kid Charlie, you've got to be ready for, like, every cartoon character, every second person's dog is called Charlie. It's a very inoffensive, friendly kind of name. Charles is different. Charles carries with it a bit of prestige. Also, Charlie is slang for cocaine and has been for about 40 years. So often if you're saying to someone, I'm going to bring Charlie to the party, uh, they're disappointed when your friend Charlie rocks up. <laughs> often when I'm, I'm brought to a friend's party, people are still disappointed and it has nothing to do with cocaine. <laughs> the, same is, uh, the same is true for my sister's daughter, Molly. Um, oh, really? yeah, Char- there's not a lot of Charleses, is there? I mean, Charles Barkley, he, he's Charles Barkley's a Charles. He's not like Charlie Barkley. Imagine if Charles Barkley had played as Charlie Barkley. I don't think he would yeah. have been as intimidating. Charlie Barkley sounds like a cartoon dog. Like I can see it. It's wearing a bow tie. Like the opening credits, it's running around a tree. Charlie Barkley, Charlie Barkley. Come on, kids. It's Charlie Barkley. <laughs> It would actually be a great name for your dog, Charlie Barkley. I've got to be honest yeah. with you now. I'm considering getting another dog just so I can call him Charlie Barkley. His name's Charlie. His full name is Charlie Barkley. Does it work in reverse? Like, if did, did Charlie Sheen ever try and become Charles Sheen? Has he, has he ever tried to sort of grab that mature mantle? Well, that's not really his name at all, is it? Carlos, like, he's not, Carlos Estevez. Yeah, so, so I guess he went with Charlie just as he didn't go to Charles. Um, as Mike Hell has just typed up, it was Charles in charge, not Charlie in charge, which is interesting. You're right. Yeah. Charles, no one would just trust Charlie in charge. People might trust Charles in charge, but not a Charlie yeah. in charge. Charlie's going to fuck shit up. You just yeah. know it. Like Charlie's goofy. Charlie's likable, but he's goofy. Yeah. Prince Charles has never been Prince Charlie. <clears throat> no. <laughs> Although there was that song, Charlie's Getting Married. Do you remember that? Yeah, Charlie's but that wasn't by married. Prince Charles. <laughs> no, but people do call him Charlie. It wasn't like Prince Charles came out one day and said, guys, I'm going with a new thing now. Wouldn't it be great if when Prince Charles becomes King of England, he, <laughs> he decrees that he'd like to be known as King Charlie? <laughs> I mean, King Charlie <clears throat> has the same uh, sound as King Ralph, doesn't it? Like the same level of, uh, of absurdity. Yeah, absolutely. Or it sounds like the guy who the person who was going to bring the cocaine to the party actually buys the cocaine from <laughs> King Charlie. King Charlie. <laughs> Our next correspondence is from Luke Arthur. <clears throat> Charlie and Will. I just listened to episode 200. Congrats on the Jason Gillespie. What does that mean? Is that a cricket joke? Uh, Jason Gillespie was an Australian uh, cricketer, mo- mostly known for his fast bowling, one of the best fast bowlers we had for a very long time. Uh, he, in his final test, I believe, against Bangladesh, scored uh, when it is a night watchman. That's when you send mm. in one of your tail enders, one of your bowlers, to bat at the end of the day to protect the batsman. And he went on against Bangladesh to make 200, which is incredible for any batsman in the game, let alone a guy who uh, makes his living as a bowler. And I believe it was his final test that he ever played. I've just listened to episode 200, and Charlie's story of the dog photographer and the homeless mini town really got to me. I'm really glad that Charlie didn't just gloss over the juxtaposition of modern Western life, and it did remind me of a similar tale. Uh, the year was 2017. I <clears throat> just moved to a new job where I had to wear a 2017 casual professional attire with business shirt, chino trousers, and a suede boot. The world, or on a micro level, Melbourne, was my oyster. I'd parked my vehicle in an undercover car park near the office I worked in, where the rate was $12 for the early bird or $34 if I drove it after 11 a.m. And an urgent call out to the CBD greeted my phone at 1, so I withdrew my car for $34 and sped up Queens Road. 
I inserted another $12 into a roadside meter so I could leave my car while I went on site. While walking back, a homeless gentleman asked for cash, of which I had none. I'd used my coins on the parking meter only 80 minutes prior and would be unreasonable to think the FPOS would be an option. So I apologized, but I went to a 7-Eleven next door and bought him some Pringles and a can of Coke. It was then, as I was approaching my car to drive back and spend another $16 on an afternoon parking, that I knew something was wrong, terribly wrong. On a relatively standard Thursday, I had spent $62 on a place to put my car that I may or may not have needed to carry building materials across the city while this bloke was scratching to make anything he could. It really shook me up and I felt sick that this might be considered normal. A few weeks later, I quit the job and went back to what I've been doing previously where I can distribute my albeit lower salary in a more thoughtful way each time I get the chance. I share this story, not for the pity, for the less fortunate, but as a means to open up the mind to the standards we walk past being the standards we accept. It's probably not the most hilarious content we've received, you'll receive this week, but hopefully, Charlie, you know that you're not the only one who's been struck by the modern dichotomy and that although you're in West Hollywood and I'm in South Melbourne, the current way we define what we see as normal requires reassessment. Anyway, in the words of Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, good on you. <laughs> I look forward to many dozens of future episodes under the TOEFOP banner from Luke Arthur. Well, I absolutely agree uh, with this. It is not the most hilarious content we've ever received. And try better next time. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I um, recently on Willosophy, I was talking to Julian Burnside, who's a refugee advocate and uh, someone who has used his legal mind um, to advocate for the rights of those who are less fortunate, you know, in life than he has been. And we had a huge discussion about the idea of, you know, the standard that you're willing to walk past being the standard that you are accepting. And particularly when it comes to homelessness, I, I've been shocked having moved back to Melbourne, how apparent and obvious, and I think it has to do with the nature of the city, which is that it is a you know, it's a centralised city and if you are going to be homeless, you would find yourself, you know, in towards the centre of the city. But as you walk the streets of the city in Melbourne at the moment, that dichotomy that's just being expressed there in that letter between the fact that, yes, you can pay $60, you know, to park your car for a few hours and then there's somebody laying out, you know, on the street with their sleeping bag because that's where they live at the moment. It's, it's a situation that we seem to have just kind of, accept it that we're just doing that thing of going now obviously it's a pretty complex you know situation in that um you know like it it, 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 but the problem with homelessness particularly that sort of you know on the street homelessness is that we live in this world i I saw a statistic the other day about jeff bezos right and basically jeff bezos could buy a house at the median house price in america he could buy a house for every single homeless person in America and still have $19.2 billion left in his own personal wealth after he bought a house at medium price for every homeless person in America. And he gets to keep all that money himself because he was the genius who came up with the idea that people might want to buy stuff on their computer. It doesn't quite seem fair that that's a disparity in how our world works. Yeah. And historically, when there's that wealth disparity, it doesn't end well. <laughs> like no. There is a moment where the people who don't have anything get sick of not having anything. Well, I agree. And the more that the people who don't have anything are everyone and the people who do have everything are such a small percentage of people, then that's got to end terribly. I don't know how anybody can... I think we're so caught up in the system and the system is set up to fool us into not thinking about these things, right? You know, mm-hmm. in fact, the, the system's set up to fool you the other way. Yeah, you, you, the system's set up to, to distract you from the fact that it's the rich people who are stealing from you. I mean, in Australia, you might not have seen this, but there's a banking inquiry on at the moment. Oh, no, and it I've turns out the Australian you. banks have been equally as corrupt as the banks everywhere else around the world because it turns out that's how banks do their business. And our major banks have been doing things like uh, pretending to be customers and withdrawing their money from their accounts. They've been charging dead people fees. Dead people. They've still charged dead people. They've been double dipping on fees. They've been giving people advice that's ruined their lives. They're getting people involved in loans that they shouldn't be involved in. And all of them have been doing this stuff 
for years. But the problem is that these are the people who have all the money to tell you that the real problem is that homeless person on the street or that refugee who floated here on a boat. They're the reason that you don't have what you have want and what you want. Yeah, and, you, and it's so insidious too when you see like, remember when the Herald Sun, was it a year ago, a couple of years ago, did that like assault on like the homeless, the homeless scourge of, of Australia, like front page, like really laying in the boots. And it's like, you just sort of feel like when, when corporations wonder why people don't trust them, why they get so angry about them paying zero tax, well, we can see what's going on. <laughs> like you don't right. hide it. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, the, the news limited papers in Australia, the Murdoch papers are always big on going, oh, we're cracking down on dole bludgers or we're cracking down on refugees, you know. And you're like, yeah, but you guys didn't pay tax a couple of years ago. Yeah. You're, you're the, the biggest, biggest welfare recipients in Australia. Yeah, you're the dole bludgers. Are we cracking down on you guys? Are we going to stop you putting out your papers and still you, until you start paying your taxes? Should we finish on a slightly happier note? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I would have thought so. This is from David Corey. Hey, Charlie. I've been listening since F1 and I love the potty. Thank you very much. I take my wife to Will's show each year, but sorry, Charlie. I'm not in your target audience to have ever watched Home and Away, McLeod's Daughters, or anything you've acted in. But I love That's Orson, and I agree with you 100% that Clawson definitely rhymes with awesome. So to bring back an old debate... (laughs) It An old debate that sparked its own podcast. <laughs> uh, my allegation that uh, uh, Clawson and Awesome could be considered a rhyme and Will's steadfast refusal of that. Well, they're not. Clawson and Awesome is a rhyme. Clawson and Awesome is a rhyme. But Clawson and Awesome are not rhymes. It's pretty simple, actually. <laughs> David continues, I'm not that much of a super fan to know what ep number it was all those years ago when Will bullied you, yeah, you did, you bullied me, <laughs> into thinking that it doesn't rhyme. It I doesn't rhyme. Some... <laughs> I didn't bully you into it. I just pointed out that it doesn't rhyme. I hereby submit Exhibit 1 from none other than the legend of hip-hop and multi-talented RZA Rizzler from the Wu-Tang Clan. Could I have said more white then? I don't love his names. I think it's Rizza, not Rizla. I think Rizla is the candy. Yeah. Rizla. <laughs> uh, but from the legend of hip hop and multi talented Rizza from the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> and, beats the, uh, and the beat kicks in on the track Wu Tang Clan Ain't Nothing to Fuck With. He rhymes I be tossing and flossing. My style is awesome. I'm causing more family feuds than Richard Dawson. Hang on. Say that again. I'd be tossing and flossing. My style is awesome. I'm causing more family feuds than Richard Dawson. Yeah, it doesn't rhyme there either. <laughs> His like argument rap, is... But here's the thing. Rap doesn't need to rhyme. Rap needs to like sound kind of the same. You know, often it's cheated on the beats. You know, they'll lean into a middle syllable of something to keep the kind of flow going. Like rap isn't a thing that is based on all... Like, it's not like every lyric of a rap song rhymes. This is an invalid argument. You've brought in evidence that isn't relevant to the case. I object. <laughs> Sustained. Overruled. <laughs> Now, Rizza says, if Rizza says awesome rhymes with Dawson, I say it also rhymes with Clawson. But I digress. The reason for my email is that I... Here's what I will say. I'm willing to concede that Dawson rhymes with Clawson. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. The reason for my email is that I recently started a new job in advertising working on a telco account. One Friday afternoon, I had an induction session over a few beers at the telco's main agency where they were bringing us up to date on some of their latest ad campaigns they had produced for the telco. Do you know where this is going yet? We were two hours in and no one wanted to be there anymore or watch another freaking ad when they played an ad uh, which was produced for uh, the, the company in question that piqued my interest. I noticed that a very familiar sounding voiceover that I was hearing out of context. The second the ad played, I had to ask if it was your dulcet tones I was listening to and my fears were confirmed. I realized that my support of the podcast is buying two tickets to Will's show each year doesn't actually benefit you in any way and leaves you having to do corporate voiceover work. I'm sorry, mate. Now, I like doing voiceover work. I've got to be honest with you. I've been doing quite a, few, uh, quite a lot of voiceovers recently and I think I might have found my thing, man. I quite like the sound of my own voice. Like when you get into that little studio and you put the headphones on and they just give you a script to read and you just play around with it, like this reminds me of being a kid 
when I used to have my like, tape deck and I'd do my own radio shows, you know, where you'd record yourself and you'd like host your own show, then you'd play it back. I'm doing this, but getting paid for it. I actually think though that you do have a great voice. Like I've noticed when I hear you in ads, you've actually got a really good voiceover voice because you've got a, that really, you can't quite tell how old you are in voiceover. You could play like, I think a wider range than you can probably play in real life. You can play in voiceover and you have, yeah. and I mean this in the nicest possible way. You have, if there's like an all American voice, you have a bit of an all Australian voice. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's sophisticated enough that it doesn't sound ochre, but it's not so sophisticated that it alienates middle Australia. I've noticed that when I hear your voice, I'm like, oh, Charlie, Charlie might be every man. <laughs> <laughs> The Tom Hanks of Australian voiceovers. Well, it's funny because when I first put together my demo reel to go to send out to people to say, hey, you know, hire me for voiceover work, all the kind of scripts that I had to go in with were all these like high energy kind of like, hey, you know, because that's what I thought was my thing, fast talking, blah, blah, blah. But no. the sound engineer I was working with, she said, I think, can you just stop? She's gone, let's give you a different script, one that's a bit like, she's gone, you've actually got quite a deep voice. Like come closer to the mic and let's do a slower kind of, more deep voice read. And she's like, yeah, you sound like a man. And it was such a shock to me the first time in like 38 years, anyone had told me I was a man. I think that's what it is though. It is, it's, I don't think it is it. I mean, obviously for, for conversation and stuff, this is how you talk and we talk, yeah. but you actually have a good professional, like lower, less energy voiceover voice. Yeah. It's funny when I was doing Blue Healers, the producers considered hiring someone to give me elocution lessons because they felt they couldn't understand me in scenes that I mumbled too much. So I don't know where along the line I have fixed that. Maybe as you mature, your, your, your tongue gets straighter or something like that. But this well, is maybe also you thought you were like a young De Niro or something at that stage. You, know, you were trying <laughs> yeah, to bring probably. some sort of yeah gritty cop to Mount Thomas. So you're probably just like mumbling and like shrugging your shoulders <laughs> and like trying to bring a little Tom Hardy sort of energy to your role. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Marlon Brando, I was just cutting the holes out of my pocket so I could fiddle with myself through my wardrobe. <laughs> oh, hang on, I didn't know that happened. Is that true? <laughs> uh, for Marlon Brando, not for me. Maybe. Uh, okay, he says, uh, how, I how about I propose this? Can you convince Will that Clawson runs with Awesome? And if you do, I'll contribute to your Patreon. He's holding us to ransom. Will, what's it worth to you? Um... For $50 a month, I'll pretend that they <laughs> rhyme for one year. All right. Ball's back in your court, David. If yeah. you subscribe for a year and you have to, and we'll know because I monitor the Patreon, we'll know if you subscribe for a year at 50 bucks, 50 bucks a month, not 50 bucks for the year, Will will pretend. Will we, do you have to say it every episode? That's too much. You know, um, for, I mean, because it's only like, what, 500, 600 bucks? I mean, okay. what's your integrity worth? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to rent out my integrity as long as afterwards I can go back to the idea. Yeah, once a month. If he's making a payment once a month, I'll acknowledge that they rhyme once a month for a year. Uh, and then at the end of the year, I'm going back to my originally held position <laughs> that of course they don't rhyme. Okay. There you go, David. There's our terms. Uh, love your work either way, mate. And the, your episode with your mum is one of the most memorable podcasts I've ever listened to. It's such a great thing to have now that she's no longer with us. You should be very proud and feel lucky for this posterity. I do. I think that's great. And on Mother's Day, everyone, if you want a great way to preserve the relationship with your mother, go have a conversation with them, perhaps record it, because that's all it was. I mean, we had this idea uh, to do an episode with her on TOEFOP. And it was so interesting and funny that I was like, I'm going to record a bit more with my mum and I'm really glad that I did. So if anyone else is, you're inclined to do that with your mother on Mother's Day, maybe she doesn't want to be interviewed on Mother's Day, maybe pick another day that's not this weekend. But yeah, sit down with your mum and have a chat and then yeah, maybe record it. Yeah, it's probably not a Mother's Day thing. Mum, I'd like to have a conversation with you for an hour that I record so that I can remember you once you die. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. But I think, I actually think you're right. Like these days for anyone out there, you can, you don't need a, a fancy equipment to do it. Like no. your phone will record a conversation really, really well for you be, be able to listen back to. So sit down with your parents and have like a, 
chat. Ask them some of those questions you've always wanted to ask them and, and do a little interview. I think it's fantastic. And I'm sure for them as well, there'd be things that they would love to, you know, have around that, yeah, the grandkids can list. They've got some yeah. scores they want to settle. <laughs> well, maybe that as well. I've got a list of names. Mum, what are you doing? These people can go get finked. <laughs> All right, let's wind it up there. Uh, we should let everyone know uh, that we are part of a campaign for Care Australia at the moment through Planet Broadcasting. Yes. Uh, so um, Care, uh, Care Australia uh, sends money to underprivileged girls all around the world, uh, helps with things like education and care and all that kind of stuff. We are creating some bonus content um, to, be, uh, to reward people who go to Planet Broadcasting and donate an amount. So what we're going to do, we think, is like a, a live stream on YouTube. Um, we haven't set a date yet because our schedules are a bit all over the place at the moment, but it will be in the next few weeks where we have like a stable internet connection where we're in the same place for, you know, I think Mike Howe was saying we'd need at least two hours to do it because half an hour just to go work out all the bugs and then, you know, uh, an hour and a half of the show. So for us at the moment to find two hours is a bit difficult, but in the next coming weeks, we're hoping to do that. Yeah. And that's part of that uh, idea of we're, we're trying to provide some, you know, content and, you know, give you guys an excuse to donate to a cause that's a really great cause to donate to regardless. And, you know, uh, instead of parking your car in a city parking meter for all day, this is our little opportunity to give a little bit of back. So it's a good way to support, um, you know, the cause and care and the great work that they're doing all over the world. But we're obviously going to provide hopefully something unique for you as well out of it. Yeah, I think the idea is going to be that if you donate uh, to Care Australia through the Planet Broadcasting website, you'll be put on a list which will give you preference uh, to ask questions when we do the live stream whenever we choose to do it. I think that's right. We're we're still trying to work it all out, but we're going to try to do something cool, so please donate. Basically, that's the shorter (laughs) message. (laughs) Uh, And speaking of donating, you can go to the Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash tofop. There's some bonus content up there at the moment. There's some Q&As. Quantum Cop, as we teased, is halfway done. The new episode of Quantum Cop. The first page is done, the first half of the strip. It looks great. Um, Very excited for people (laughs) to see this. Uh, Like I said, Foz and I had a crisis meeting a couple of weeks ago where he, he called me in a panic, threw out the original script, just couldn't do it. Something inside him was like he, has to, he could do better. And so we had a late night session where we came up with a new story, which I think is really great. So that'll be coming soon. Uh, Will, you're on tour? Uh, yeah, I've still got Canberra and Sydney to go. So Canberra, I think, is June the 2nd. And uh, there's only a couple hundred tickets left for that. Justin Hamilton's doing support one night only in Canberra. So come out and see that. And then uh, October, Sydney Opera House, that thing is almost uh, half sold out. So, And it's in October. So I would say if you want to come and see me at the Opera House, I would be booking tickets because we obviously it's one night, it's two shows. We can't add extra shows so um that they'll be the only two shows so if you want to come and see uh we're legal at the opera house with justin as well uh then uh book tickets to that as soon as possible yeah don't be a fink buy tickets i'm charlie clawson and i'm will anderson this podcast is part of the planet broadcasting network visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates it's not optional. You have to do it. <laughs> we used to go easy on it, but now you have to. Yeah. Yeah.